Moses is out tending his sheep one day, a, a very ordinary day, a day like any other, and Moses presumably has been doing this for decades now already, ever since he was uh, had a self-imposed exile from, from Egypt. He fled in disgrace. And something catches his attention, a bush that's burning, which may not have been that unusual in a desert scene, but this is a bush that's burning and it doesn't burn up, which is unthinkable. In, in a dry and arid place, a bush would disappear in an instant. And so he goes up to look, and God catches him. God speaks. We had Gary practice that one. Moses, Moses. I said, you have to say it slowly and ponderously. And the first thing Moses says is, uh, here am I. Moses' first response is great, right? He's signing, I'm here, what do you want? What can I do for you? Who's speaking to me? Here I am. And God announces that this is holy ground. And then he introduces himself. He says, I am the God of your father. It's first directed towards um, Moses himself, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Why does Moses need an introduction to God? Because... From what we understand, they, the people have been in Egypt for about 400 years, and there's nothing recorded during that time of God speaking. No, no prophecies, no dreams, no visions, or angel visitors. And so God has to come to Moses and establish his reputation by his history, by Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and by the father of Moses, people whose stories Moses knew. You see, when God comes calling, when he's asking us to do something with him, not for him, but with him, he doesn't appear out of the blue. For, for Moses, God lists four people whose stories he knew. How many more stories do you and I have of who this God is? Not just the four that Moses had, but the God of Esther and Mary and Simeon and Gregory of Nyssa and Hildegard von Bingen and Oswald Smith and on and on and on. This is the God who comes calling with a vision for us. And this God does so with a solid credit rating. He has an amazing success rate for what he calls people in to do. And so whenever God calls us into the future, he expects us to remember his past and our past with him. And then God lays out a plan for Moses. He says, yeah, I, I've seen the suffering of my people, and so I'm going to rescue them from a bad place and bring them into a good one. And maybe up to this time, Moses is you know, giving high fives and saying, yeah, thumbs up, this is a great plan. We were waiting for this for a long time. And then there's the little hitch because says, God says, so go. I'm sending you to, to take my people out, to take the Israelites out of Egypt. So you go to Pharaoh. Like many people before and after Moses, God has a call on his life. Admittedly, it's a huge one. And Moses has been given directions without any instructions. He, he, it's like he opened the box and there's, there's no instruction manual in the middle of it. God just says, go. Of course, God is in the business of doing that. He has Abraham, for example, as an example before that. And so Moses begins to protest. First he said, here I am, and then it's as if he says, well, who am I? He changes that phrase around. The first thing that he knows is that he's inadequate himself. 
it's often where our thoughts go first. Well, I'm not good enough. I don't have the skills. We're not good enough. We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. And in itself, that's not a completely bad response because the word of God teaches us, lean not on your own understanding, right? So that, that part's okay, but you can't just have half the verse. You have to complete it. It says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Lack of self-reliance is good if it leads us to trust in God more, to lean not on ourselves, but to lean into the God who supports us hard. But that doesn't seem to be what Moses means. And God's answer to Moses is, I will be with you. In other words, oh, Moses, don't worry about you and your little inadequacies. That's not what's important here. I am going with you. Hello, me, God, remember? Remember me? You see, if God calls, it's not about us. It's not about our inadequacies or our smallness or our failings. It's about God. It's about his greatness, his power, his ability, his possibilities. Do I get an amen? He gives Moses a promise of presence and a sign. And that should be enough to dispel personal inadequacy. But it isn't for Moses. Well, what's your name, he asks. His who am I turns into, well, who are you? And then God gives his famous name. I am who I am. It's actually the verb to be or to become, and then the pronoun who, and then the verb to be or to become again. And really, it has a whole bunch of possibilities in terms of translation. I am who I am is is one. I will be who I will be. It's becoming. I will cause to be what I cause to be. I will be who I am, and I am who I will be. It's a good thing I have a script, so I get these straight. As much as it reveals something about God, it also conceals, though. It doesn't tell us everything. It doesn't lay out the whole plan. It doesn't answer uh, everything about inadequacies to get there. And it's maybe not even a name so much as it is a call to faith, to trust on our part. It's saying, without fully knowing me, but trusting my history to this point, you must trust me because only I am the God who is. There's something about God's essence that stays the same, that can be depended on. And yet, his name isn't static, right? It's not just I was who I was or I am who I am. There's this go ongoingness about it. It's verbs that are God's name. It's, it's being, doing, moving. Everything is included. It doesn't stand still as if you could catch it in a box. And when the people experience it later, it's, it's buzzing and alive. It's moving like a pillar of cloud as they go through the desert and a pillar of fire by night in us and around us and leading us. And so God's answer to Moses' question, but who are you, is his name, his being, his faithfulness, just as he answers our questions about his being, his presence, his ability to be there in the uncertainty of our future. I was, I am, and I will be. What more do you need? The God with you, Emmanuel, present, 
And Moses doesn't even have the history that we have. The Bible, the record of God's story here on earth with his people, the story of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God like us. It it, it struck me even as we read the passage again that, that the Lord says, I have come down to my people. It's so like the story of Jesus. The story of God and people is God coming down to where we are because we have needs and he is coming to meet us where we are at. Jesus, who came like we did as a helpless baby, who lived and died and was crucified, but who rose again and who lives victorious and who is sitting at the right hand of the Father and is coming back again, how much more should we be able to put our trust in this God who calls us forward? But Moses had another question. He's gone through himself, who am I, and God, who are you? But there's another group of people that are in this equation that have to come along, and that is the people themselves. And he's not sure he can trust the people. What about the people? Now, you might think that God has had it up to here with Moses already, especially if you grew up with an image of a God who doesn't take anything from anybody and sends out lightning bolts, you know, to strike people down if they don't immediately jump to do what he says. But, but instead, we show God giving an example of how he describes himself in addition, that he is slow to anger and abounding in love and mercy. Just the gracious giving God gives uh, uh, Moses in answer three miracle signs to build Moses' courage. Two of them are demonstrated, and one of them is spoken. And so now all of Moses' questions have been answered. But he has another objection. And now he goes from general things like me, you, and the people back to himself about his real concrete inadequacy that he knows in himself. I have never been eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. I don't talk so good, God. And there's a little jibe at God in there, too. I had a speech problem before, and since I've started talking to you, it hasn't gotten any better yet, either. It's likely that Moses actually had a a speech impediment, maybe a lisp or a stuttering problem, something obvious. So he's saying, well, you want me to do this great thing, but you haven't even fixed me yet. Shouldn't you make me perfect before you expect me to do something like that for you? Do you know that objection from your own life? When God comes calling and we say, well, God, I would love to if only this, if only my spouse agreed, if only I had more money than I could give, if only I had more time, if only you took this burden away from me, if only you fixed me first and made all of the environment perfect, then let's see what I would do for you, God. But that's not how it works. God doesn't go for those kinds of bargains, although he did allow some bargaining with Moses first. Because aside from Jesus, the perfect servant, God doesn't use perfect servants to get his will done. He uses what he has, broken people and broken institutions, because that's what he's got. And that, combined with the Spirit of God, is all that it takes for God's will to be done and his kingdom to come. So his answer to Moses is, 
I know how you are made. You think you're telling me something I don't know? I know all of it. I know all the secrets. I know all the things that are broken. I know all of the inadequacies. I am the Lord, after all. You can't tell me anything new. I am the God of your strengths, and I am the God who uses your weaknesses. I can use weaknesses as well as strengths. I remember a time in my own life when I was very, very broken. And I was in, uh, it was actually a camp that we went to for a week. And um, there was this call to mission and, you know, being witnesses for God wherever we were. And people were getting really involved in this. And they were signing up to do things. And the sign was if you could go forward and you laid your hand on this huge globe. It was like four feet big that we had in the middle. And I remember standing there weeping and saying, God, I don't have anything to give. All I have is my pain. And God said, pain is a good gift, Joan. Pain is an excellent gift. I can use pain for my glory. God can use our inadequacies, our brokenness, our failings for his glory. And then God simply says, now go. He'd already told him to go. They had this whole conversation. He says, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. It's about me, Moses, remember? As long as I'm there, as long as I'm present, and I've promised I will be, it will work out. Just like he says to us. It's about me, people of God, at Tyndale University College and Seminary, remember? Not about you. Not about your successes or failures, your abilities or your inabilities, your dazzling building or your lack of program or strengths of programs or your wonderful people or frail people. It's about me. And I will help you and I will teach you. Just follow me. Come on now. Let's pray. And I invite the worship team to come forward as we pray. God, thank you that your word is alive, that you inhabit it by your spirit, and that you live in us and you move us to respond to you. Father, may we hear this word of both challenge and encouragement as one that inspires us and gives us courage. And Lord, where we need correction, where we've gotten so caught up in looking at ourselves and the weaknesses or inadequacies or problems, we repent of that, Lord. We confess our shortcoming and ask that you strengthen us to turn our eyes to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that step by step we may walk after you and we may follow you into the future that you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen.